The Psychoanalysis Podcast explores the ways that horror movies examine mental health issues. It deals with mature and sometimes disturbing subject matter, and it may not be suitable for all listeners. It is meant for entertainment purposes only, and not as a substitute for proper therapy. If you or a loved one are currently experiencing mental health difficulties, please contact your local mental health center. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. This is psychoanalysis. I didn't hit the button. I hit right next to the button. We're fine. <laughs> Off to a great start, everybody. <laughs> okay. This is Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast, analyzing the horror genre through the lens of mental health. I'm Jen Adams. I'm Lara Unterstall. And I'm Mike Snoonian. And we are joined by a very special guest. She is a musician and the fearless editor of the Halloweenies podcast, May Schultz. May, welcome to the pod. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. We're so excited to have you. Um, So this is a comfort horror episode, and we define comfort horror as the scary movies that bring us joy. And today we are talking about one of three movies that bring me so much joy. May, what movie did you choose? Fear Street, 1666. And honestly, I could have chosen any of the three. Right. (laughs) Well, and on that note, so here's how we're going to do this. We're going to focus on 1666, but we're going to tangentially talk about 94 and 78 because you kind of have to. But for more of our um, very um, academic and definitely not scattered at all thoughts on the first two movies, check out our commentaries on both. 94, I believe, is in the main feed and 78 is available on our Patreon. Patreon.com slash psychoanalysis podcast. You can give us money there and hear our commentaries. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) um, So let's, before we start talking about 1666, not the year, but this Fear Street movie, 1666, here is your spoiler alert. Man, sometimes the most beautiful men just break your heart. The spoiler alert has beautiful blue eyes, a caring face. (laughs) And man, oh, it just, sometimes they just turn out to be bad, but they're so hot. More often than not, honestly. More often than not. I will, I, yeah, unfortunately. In real life, too. Yeah. It's, a, it's a burden we bear. I don't know what to tell you. It's a burden. I don't mean to do these things. How dare you, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So for the synopsis, I'm going to give a very high-level recap of 94 and 1978, and then we are going to launch into the 66. 1994. Dina and her ex-girlfriend Sam, brother Josh, and friends Simon and Kate are all stalked by undead killers, an axe man and a razor-toting 60s babe named Ruby Lane. They're all controlled by the vengeful spirit of Sarah Fear, a witch who terrorizes Shadyside. Nick Good, the Sunnyvale sheriff, and a local woman with a past connection to Sarah kind of try to help the kids. They do find the body of Seraphir, and they manage to defeat the killers, but now Sam is possessed with the evil murder spirit. They turn to the local shut-in lady for help. 1978. Camp Nightwing. Ziggy and her sister Cindy are campers. A young Nick Good is a counselor. The camp is stalked by the Nightwing killer, an axe-wielding monster, the same one that tried to kill them in 1994. 
They learn that they have to reunite the body of Sarah Fear with her hand to break the curse. And it turns out the local shut-in lady, many years later, is Ziggy. When Dina touches Sarah's body, she's transported back to 1666 to witness what really happened. Dina is now in the year 1666. She's holding a bloody knife. Her reflection shows another woman's face, and everyone is calling her Sarah. She is Sarah Fear. (laughs) (laughs) Freaky Friday. Okay. (laughs) Top of the morning. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Sorry. Just an accent foreshadowing. She's giving one of the cute little piglets she just delivered to Solomon Good. Solomon's wife and child recently died, and Sarah's dad wants her to marry him. She doesn't want to, even though he is the super dreamy cop from the 1994 movie. (sighs) Can I interject for a moment and say, when he is the cop, he just looks like knockoff BJ Novak. Mm -hmm. Yes. but when he's Solomon, he's so gorgeous. It does elevate his look. It's amazing what some long hair and a nice beard will do for me. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was BJ Novak. I really did. I had to look it up. I did too. Um, I'm like BJ Novak, a buff. Yeah, uh, he looks more not. sensitive somehow. Slightly more sensitive. Yeah. The goatee didn't do it for you for BJ Novak, didn't? I mean, look, I'm not kicking either of them out of bed. So <laughs> <You know. laughs> they can get crumbs in my sheets. They I know. Crack- I wonder if crackers. Which one of those actors do you think is more likely to strike a deal with the devil to, um, you know, conquer the BJ world? BJ Novak. BJ Novak, probably, I think so. 100%. Yeah, that's how The Office got production, I think. He was the fire the guy, so right. yeah. That's right, yeah. <laughs> Ryan started the fire. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Here. All right. Here <laughs> back to the synopsis. <laughs> Speaking of back... Hey, everyone's back. This town is full of all the teen characters from the first two movies in Puritan form with extremely inconsistent accents. (laughs) Hey, they're all trying. I was just going to say, they sure do try. They're all approximately Irish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The witch, this is not. The vivitch, this is not. But, you know, everyone is giving it a good good effort. Irish adjacent, maybe. (laughs) Sam is also back in Hannah form. Now she's the pastor's daughter, and she and Sarah are in love. Sarah goes to visit Solomon. They're friends. He's having a hard time, but is dedicated to sticking it out in the new colony. Sarah sneaks out to visit the Witch of the Forest, Widow Mary. She's looking for berries that will help them have a vision at a secret forest full moon party the town kids are planning. Sarah sneaks into Mary's home and finds her grimoire. It has directions for a simple exchange with the devil— the widow Mary bursts in and warns her about the devil boring his way beneath her skin. Ugh, that that line just mm-hmm. gives me the squiggies. <laughs> <laughs> That's me boring my way. <laughs> okay, this is not a visual <laughs> medium. <laughs> it's not a Texas chainsaw, Lucy. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I can't help it. We're mixing up our sound effects. We start making sounds and I just can't help it. Okay, <laughs> Party time! All the teens are partying by the bonfire. They eat the drug berries and get all fucked up. It's pretty cool, pretty badass. A jerk tries to assault Hannah. Sarah defends her, smacking the guy and getting in a sick mule burn about his tiny pepper. (laughs) (laughs) It took me... So yesterday, 
Erica, my partner, and I marathoned all three movies. Uh And that was my fifth time watching all of them since they got released last year. And it took me until the fourth time I watched them to realize that's the same actor that played Peter in 1994. Mm -hmm. That's because he's, you know. The worst. Yeah, yeah, he sucks. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's like the gun. Uh, it's like watching multiple seasons of American Horror Story. I was where yeah. all the actors are swapped around, and- mm-hmm. but they still kind of contain the same energy, you know, the yeah, characters. Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. After all of that, Sarah and <laughs> Hannah sneak into the woods and make sweet secret love, but someone saw them. It was Mad Thomas, a local zealot. So, oh no. The next morning, all hell breaks loose. Literally, lol, 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 lol. <laughs> Hannah's Hannah's father is acting real weird Thomas tells everyone about what he done saw Sarah's parents essentially disown her All the food is rotting Animals are eating their babies The well is poisoned The horses are pissed Jesus Christ Our pets' heads are falling off (laughs) Yeah, it's fucked up Solomon comes to talk to Sarah And gives her a knife for protection She tells him everything She loves Hannah Does that make her evil? Is the devil inside her? Solomon is supportive. He says, in order to invite the devil, you must make a choice. Extend your hand. And he Hmm. would know. And And he he would would know. I know. And he would know. But their sweet moment is interrupted. The pastor has locked himself in the church with all the town's children. He ripped all of their eyes out along with his own. Oh, yeah, the kids, they did. He's about to kill Sarah, but Solomon saves her by killing the minister with a pitchfork. That's not foreshadowing either. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Cue the townsfolk freaking out. They blame Sarah and Hannah for being gay, and the pair go on the run. Hannah falls and is caught while Sarah gets away, triggering a manhunt. I mean, a woman hunt. (laughs) I mean, a witch hunt. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sarah sneaks into the church to see Hannah, where she's being held prisoner. They're going to hang her tomorrow. Hannah tells Sarah to run. But Sarah's like, nah, dog. Since everyone already thinks they're witches, they might as well be. Sarah's going to make a deal with the devil to help them flee together. She goes to see Mary, but the book is gone, and Mary has been murdered. <laughs> Sarah runs to Solomon for help. She, I almost thought that said she text, texts him, and I was like, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> that can't be right. She tells him she thinks someone struck a deal with the devil, offering the town in exchange for power. She swears it wasn't her. He believes her for some reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then the mob shows up. Sarah hides and finds a secret door in the back room. It leads to a tunnel to the Devil's Deal Cave. <sighs> Solomon is the one who struck a deal with the devil. Once again, this is why you can't trust hot men. Every right? time. They break Every fucking time. time. <laughs> I'm always getting sacrificed. It fucking sucks. I know. <sighs> <sighs> He's also the one who killed Mary and was also peeping on Sarah and Hannah in the woods. He says he's still himself, even though he cast a spell to make himself powerful and rich. All he had to do was give up one person every few years. He wants Sarah to join him in a horny witch marriage. (laughs) I'm going to give credit to Jen for that phrase because... I couldn't tell. What do you mean? (laughs) It's just such a it's not my brand at all. Gen phrase, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I mean, I would have a hard time if it were not for all the killing people. I know then. it's just like there's a moment where you're like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, shit. Uh, I know. <laughs> you have to kill my brother. Wow, oh, oh. fuck. 
Yeah. Uh, Solomon says he loves Sarah, but she does not love him and is frankly a little put off by all the killing people. <laughs> they fight and he rips her hand off. <laughs> it's uh-huh. bad. She runs away, leaving her hand in the cave. Thanks to Solomon, the mob catches Sarah and the two women are brought to the gallows tree. Sarah, quote, confesses to save Hannah. She says she bewitched Hannah Miller. It was her along and only her. They let Hannah go. Solomon comes to put the noose around her neck. She tells him that the truth will come out. The truth will be his curse. She will show them what he's done. They hang her. It sucks. Mm. Later that night, Sarah's friends move the body to a secret location. They put a crown of red moss on her head, and everyone who touches her hand from from thenceforth will see the truth. Sorry, I was trying. <laughs> and that's when I start bawling. Oh yes. my gosh, yeah. There were several times, but yeah, that was one of them. It's a very upsetting scene. Mm-hmm. Snap back to 1994. Dina downloads the plot updates to Josh and Ziggy. <laughs> Ziggy's super hot crush, who also saved her life, Sheriff Nick Good, is evil. Fuck, that sucks. <sighs> yep. <laughs> Once again. The I cop know. is the cop- evil. <laughs> <laughs> what? Damn you never sensitive <laughs> <sighs> His family has been creating the killer spirits who sacrifice shady ciders to maintain his devil power. The gang goes to the mall and, with the help of head custodian Martin, hatch a plot to catch the killers, kill Sheriff Good, and save Shadyside. I love it when they pull up the car to Martin's house and Josh just goes, hey, you want to help us kill Sheriff Good? And Martin goes, I'll get my back. Uh, <laughs> it's oh my great. gosh so many hilarious moments loser. with him <laughs> yeah oh my God. i mm-hmm. i love martin he's fucking hilarious martin is one of the like low-key great characters yeah mm-hmm. he does have that one creepy line about sunnyvale cheerleaders mm. oh yeah yeah mm-hmm. i think i repressed that <laughs> i blame that on 1994 yeah, yeah. well yeah. I, I, that him, definitely yeah. is like period accurate yeah, yeah, but but yeah, he yeah. It makes me wish he had been in the '94 movie a little more, you know. Yeah, totally. The Offsprings come out and play as the soundtrack for their mall prep. Their plan involves super soakers full of neon, blood paint, and trapping the monsters in the stores behind security gates, which is what happens. <laughs> they do successfully trap the killer zombie ghosts before an ominous quiet descends. Nick Good has arrived. Ziggy dumps a bucket of Dina's blood on him, marking him as a target, but he grabs Ziggy, making her a target too. Dina cuts her own hand open to distract the monsters. She runs after Solomon while the other three hide in a store. They blood super soak each other with the paint and it turns into a full-on monster mash. The monsters are gone, but now there are more monsters. Wave 2 has found their way to the mall and the kids are out of magic blood. Dina follows Nick Good through the bowels of the mall. The basement leads to the evil caves. There, he talks about the white supremacist patriarchy Solomon created and how cool it is. <laughs> the kids, the kids hold off the. <laughs> he likes it. He does. That means, yeah. Probably, yeah, it's it's very good for him. Not so much for anybody else. Mikey, he likes it. Uh, Okay, anyway. Uh, The kids hold off the monsters upstairs, but it's not looking good as the monsters keep regenerating. Nick stabs Dina. Shit. But Dina grabs Nick's hand and slaps it down on the evil brain pile, forcing him to witness all the pain and death he and his family have caused. We hear Sarah's voice say, the truth shall be your curse. 
And suddenly, all of his victims are in the cave waiting for him. And there is the real Sarah. She stabs him in the eye and the monsters evaporate. The monster brain pile collapses and Sam wakes up as herself. She was possessed this whole time, in oh, case yeah. anyone forgot. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Turns out Dina taped a bunch of Fear Street books to her chest as protection, so she's not going to die. Yay! Protected by literacy. Oh, <laughs> yes, literally. Literally literacy. Yeah. Uh, Sam and Dina emerge from the caves in Nick's fabulous house, which is covered in American Psycho-style motivational phrases and anchored by a framed Solomon Good family tree. Suddenly, everything is coming up shady side. The news outs Nick Good as the serial killer. Ziggy tells Nurse Lane the truth that her daughter wasn't a psycho killer. The kids are honored at school. And Josh meets his online girlfriend. Do you think her response is, qu'est-ce que c'est? (laughs) Yes. I liked it. I liked it. (laughs) I just love that the first indication you have that things have gone back to a more balanced place is that couple who get in their car and immediately get destroyed by a fucking garbage truck. I know. <laughs> yes, yes. It's incredible. <laughs> it's it <great>. really <laughs> is. Yep. It's very, very symbolic. <laughs> yeah. The universe, the balance has been restored. Right. Yeah, they're taking out the trash. They mm-hmm. are. Yeah. Shady. I mean, Sunnyvale. Dina and Sam carve a tribute to Sarah on a rock in the forest. They listen to the pixies and kiss in the broad daylight, which is oh. frankly pretty cool. I know. <laughs> But as the credits roll, we see someone take the devil's book from the caves. Looks like the door is open to a squeak wool. <laughs> and that's Fear Street. Yay! Woo-hoo. All right. So now let's do a feelings check. And this is where we share our first experience with the film and how we feel when we watch it. And May, would you care to kick us off? Absolutely. So not to overshare, but I'm polyamorous and... Every time I've watched these movies, it's been with a different person that I was dating last year or I'm currently dating. And being a lesbian and watching these movies where the core relationship is between two women, Mm -hmm. one of whom is a lesbian. And I'm not sure about Sam. I'm not sure if Sam is actually bi or a lesbian who is in denial. Mm -hmm. And they kind of set it up that way, especially when Dina tells her, you know, you're pretending to be someone you're not. Mm-hmm. In, during that initial conflict between the two of them but it's just like it's a really really powerful thing seeing yourself represented in media mm-hmm. and so every time I watch these even though all of these horrible things happen you know we, that's why you have comfort horror episodes you know even though these mm-hmm. horrible things happen these movies somehow are very emotionally fulfilling for us they're very comforting Mm -hmm. and that's just that's really what it does for me you know Mm -hmm. there's these parts that make me bawl my eyes out and there's other parts that give me goosebumps and there's other parts that just make me feel so happy and hopeful Mm -hmm. because you don't get the barrier queers trope as as much in Mm -hmm. in these movies you know and it's so fucking refreshing it's Mm -hmm. so wonderful yeah yeah, and I was talking about, or I was talking about Final Girls on a panel the other day, and someone mentioned this is a uh, non-white Final Girl, also, which is not uh-huh. something that we see very much at all, you know. So it's mm-hmm. just, it's the representation in this franchise is just fantastic. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, Mike, what about you? So I don't have a 
ton of the movie itself. I more or less enjoyed the experience of watching these three movies for the first time because it was like a communal event during a time where I think we kind of were all longing for some sort of communal events to kind of reach out and share things with people. And looking back over the past couple of years, I think horror more than anything else kind of allows for that. And I'm thinking of like how these movies were released, like I think like one each week over the course of three weeks mm -hmm. and people kind of gather online, watch them together, comment on them. But there were events like Ted Giegan and Michael Gingold running the final exam, a uh, horror trivia every Friday night for almost a year. More recently, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre on Netflix. Uh, I'm not a, necessarily a fan of The Last Drive-In, but I know a lot of people really love that show and kind of gather to watch it and comment every week. So anything that provides like that sort of communal experience, I'm all in for. And mm -hmm. horror seems like uniquely suited uh, in that regard. And like the Fear Street books, like I was just past the age of this and Goosebumps growing up, like I'm a little bit older and that's okay. And it's okay that, you know, these, like not every movie has to be for every single person. You can still enjoy and, and appreciate them on your own. And, you know, I think that I want to see Lee Janik make more movies. Like I think she's mm -hmm. a supremely talented filmmaker, especially considering the amount of work that went into filming basically three movies simultaneously and this is mm -hmm. essentially her sophomore effort after honeymoon she's fucking fantastic as mm -hmm. a writer and director and mm -hmm. you know the fact that she hadn't done that much before this is extremely yeah. impressive uh -huh. yeah yeah it's like gaining that trust especially as like a woman filmmaker can be really difficult in that industry so and i think horror also provides more um opportunities for people that don't necessarily fit the mold to make their way as filmmakers and it's just another uh plus in the column of the genre mm -hmm. yeah. the only other thing i had is it made me wish netflix would rethink their binge model because I'm thinking of shows like The Mandalorian and Secession, Yellow Jackets, Euphoria. These are shows that kind of dominate the dominate the cultural conversation for a good two to three months because they're released once a week and you have something to look forward to. Uh, and essentially like this would be this movie is essentially like a season long of like Stranger Things at like mm -hmm. six hours or a season long of Cobra Kai. Uh, and over six hours long. And those are just like dumped out over like one weekend. You binge them. Mm -hmm. By the time you get, I say, midway through them, like you're no longer really engaging with the show. You're just kind of powering through it. Like your brain mm -hmm. can only hold so much information, especially in these really like plot dense shows or action heavy shows. So you kind of like take it all in at once and then immediately, like a week later, you forget about it. So yeah. I know it's their model, but I kind of wish that they would kind of go back to like once every week putting these out. Yeah. I think that it works really well for some types of things. Like I just watched the show Inventing Anna and that was the kind of thing that I would not have like yeah. watched every week, you know, but like with Ozark, I still haven't got a chance to watch Ozark, but I have friends who know everything yeah. about this season, you know, so yeah. I don't it's know. It's think of like Midnight Mass. Like mm -hmm. we covered that for our, our patron and like I know that I watched like four episodes in one night mm -hmm. and by the third episode, like I'm sure there's so much there that I didn't fully absorb 
because mm -hmm. you're just like letting all this in all at once and yeah letting it wash over you and that's the kind of entertainment that is not meant to be it's so dense that it's not yeah. meant to be consumed like yeah it, it yeah. definitely varies i think like jen was saying by the piece of some content you absolutely can just but some should be savored and discussed and given time to breathe yeah I definitely have enough self-control to do that, which is really nice. So, like, <laughs> I, I do not. <laughs> I, that's what I did with Haunting of Hill House. You know, I mm. spread it out. I may have watched oh, nice. like one to two episodes at a time, but mm -hmm. I don't think I ever watched more than two episodes in mm -hmm. one sitting. Mm -hmm. And that made it so much more enjoyable for me because I was able to just kind of absorb and process everything before moving on to the next mm -hmm. segment. Totally. But yeah, even when you do that, by the time you get through it and want to like talk about it with others, the conversation from that show has moved on. Yeah, absolutely. Right? It is. Yeah, it's hard to f to sustain the conversation. And I will also say, like with the um, Lisi story, like I think that is a show that would have really benefited from being released all at once because you can't go in and out of that show. So I think a lot of it depends kind of on the show, on the occasion, on the, you know, like I do think there is something fun about having a, an entire season to watch when we're all going to have time off, but I don't know. It just, it feels like a thing that may have outlived its yeah. beneficialness, you know? Anyways. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Laura, what about you? Yeah, I really enjoyed this whole series. I mean, I'm right in the demographic for it because I grew up reading Goosebumps and Fear Street. So when I saw that this was happening, I was, you know, like, hell yeah, especially because I read all the Fear Street books, like when I was probably slightly too young, you know, it was like I was meant for Goosebumps. <laughs> but of course, I was going to graduate immediately to Fear Street and be mm -hmm. like, teens. Um, so I do enjoy I, I really think this did a good job overall as a series of like, taking those 90s Fear Street vibes and elevating the plot and characters and discourse to sort of meet the moment that we're in right now. Mm -hmm. um, it would have been very easy to like screw that balance up. Um, and I know there was a lot about like a, you know, online discourse about the characters not being likable and all this shit. But I really I mean, I I, I thought that the characters were interesting and some of them, I don't know that characters always have to be like perfectly likable, mm -hmm. but I think that this did a good job. And I, I agree with everything you said, May, about like the, the representation and, and the fact that this story is so anchored by Sam and Dina's love story and that it doesn't end in like tragedy, you know, mm -hmm. it actually, they actually get the happy ending, which is another like trope that you don't get a lot. So I, I do appreciate all of that. I think the 1666 chapter is a good resolution to the series. I think as far as like, I really enjoyed the Camp Nightwing installment as like a standalone movie the most, but I mm -hmm. think that um, 1666 like emotionally anchors the whole series in a way that it needed to feel like a complete thought. I definitely have more thoughts on that, which we can get into in the movie discussion section. But overall, yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed the series. That was, sorry. <laughs> I, and then that was, I was like, no, then that no, that's the end of the sentence. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I love love this movie. I love this series. I um I remember watching them all. I think you know I've mentioned my Friday Night Planner Jam and these. I watched all three of these in installments, and I think this was the one. I agree with you, Laura. I think the 78 one is the best standalone, but I think this one, it, it's such a great payoff to everything that's come before it, you know, and, and when everything starts to come together, 
it's so satisfying. And I love that, like, we think about this as 1666, but a good chunk of it is in 94, too, which is, like, that's my nostalgia because, you know, I graduated high school in 99. So, like, I listened to all of these songs. Like that Offspring song. I thought that uh, Yellow Jackets may have been the best use of that song in the last year or so. And this might be a rival for it. But um, yeah, I and I loved Fear Street when I was a kid. And I, I was too old for Goosebumps. So I was like smack in the middle of Fear Street. And I feel like Goosebumps always gets the attention. And so when I saw it was going to be Fear Street, I was really excited that it was that section of Arl Stein. Because by the time Goosebumps existed, I was already reading Stephen King and I was, you know, mm. not not good. I've read a couple of Goosebumps, but yeah, but I like ate up Fear Street. I used to get them from the bookmobile all the time. Oh, um, I, the <laughs> I loved the bookmobile. Um, also where I got some of my first Stephen King books. Um, I've we'll probably talk a little bit, but I'll try to control myself. But Nick Good is so hot. Um <laughs> I just love this actor. I think it's great casting because like Laura and I were texting about this. I was really bummed when he turned out to be the bad guy, you know, because mm-hmm. I really like he seems so supportive of Sarah. I've got yeah. thoughts about their relationship and his relationship with Ziggy. And so I think it's just a really good use of that character. And and man, it's a fucking witch movie. You know, <laughs> I love witches. I love hearing people say things out loud like I'm not afraid of the devil. I'm afraid of the neighbor that would accuse me like I cry when I read when I hear that, you know, Um, and then the vest of Fear Street books like that. That made me cry, too. It's like this. The reason I read those books as a kid was like to kind of shield myself from a lot of stuff that scared me. So the fact that she like actually uses that as armor, it's just it's just it's perfect. Brilliant. It really mm-hmm. is. It's so sweet. And I feel like if you look at each of these movies on their own, there are things that are silly. Like it's easy to get stuck on the accents or it's easy to get stuck on like, yes, I watched the 94 movie and the songs come just so quickly. Yeah, it's a lot. But, <laughs> it's like, OK, yeah. <laughs> but but like once you get to this point and like the heart has kicked in, it's like, oh, I just love it all. So. Yeah, yeah, it definitely balances itself by the end. It does. Much like the towns and all that. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> it hits all the, the haters with a garbage truck, would you say? <laughs> yes. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, so now let's descend into the caves, and we're going to avoid the cave that is essentially a big outhouse because that is That's the so one gross. thing about the 78 movie that really grosses me. I know. Me. I, I can't. <laughs> all the toilet paper. Stop it. That's so gross. Uh, um, so, okay, where do we want to start? Let's see. I mean, we can start with the witch, because I'll yeah. always talk about a witch. Man. I feel like that's the the central theme in a lot of ways is witches and feminine power and all this shit. Mm-hmm. So. And it feels like a reclamation. Like, I remember um, when Wicked came out, and then it kind of started this trend of like, oh, maybe the witch is good. You know, maybe she's just mis- misunderstood. And I feel like this does this really well because for the first two movies, you think that she is the villain. And, you know, I'm down for an evil witch, too. Like, I, witches can contain multitudes. And so I'm like parfaits. They do. <laughs> Exactly like perfect. That's right. Um, <laughs> but like I love that we find out what really happened and that it's like the this guy that we thought was going to save us, this this hot, super dreamy guy who's not like other cops except he kind of is, but then... <laughs> 
<sighs> but I just love the turn when we find out about it and just her speech at the end like the truth will follow you there is nothing you can do that will make the truth not true you know even if we can't see it right now oh mm, makes me cry yeah I like you know the the moment where she says like um you know if they want a witch we'll give them a witch like you know I think that was that was like an interesting moment I almost want to see a version of this where that just happens <laughs> like right, you know yeah. and like just takes on like demonic vengeance for the whole town and I think I think obviously this was playing with the tension from the books where if I I mean it's been a long time and also my mom gave away all my Fear Street and Goosebumps books so I can't read I had all of them she just kept everything else but somehow managed to give all of those away uh it's so fun. the I devil doesn't get you uh, Laura yeah <laughs> She's it wasn't even that she was like you don't read these anymore these are children's oh. books and then just like gave and i was like no those were the only ones that mattered to me but uh the in the books sarah F- fear is like spelled f-i-e-r is like the sort of like spectral figure i think that they took all of that like the sort of cookie cutter background stuff which is like this town is under a curse and it was all sort of just a uh, uh an excuse for this town to have all these bad events happen in that was like the kind of like almost car- cartoonish like enjoyably cartoonish but definitely kind of cartoony young adult elements of it and they were like let's actually explore what this could mean um and, and so i think that um that tension is really interesting yeah again i just want to see her go full evil for like five minutes but other than that i think that i, I really liked how that was handled yeah i i really love one of my favorite things about all three of these movies, there's a constant subversion of expectations. Mm-hmm. You know, before you meet Sam, you think Dean is straight because that's mm-hmm. just what our brains tell us is the default in our culture. Mm-hmm. You know, you you think Sarah Fear is the witch. And not only does she not turn out to be evil, she's not actually a witch. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 just like everything in these movies plays with horror tropes and subverts your expectations and it does it so effectively and in such uh in such an emotionally powerful way mm-hmm. and that's a big reason i love them mm-hmm. i also i feel like it kind of plays with that idea that was originally established in buffy as witchcraft for a metaphor for queerness mm-hmm. and i mean not that buffy was the first thing to do that but it's mm-hmm. it's the most common example it's what yeah. people tend to think of with this sort of situation and, and probably I, a lot of us who've read these books that was like our first association with that because it's like right in that same age range where right. that really hit us at a developmental stage <laughs> absolutely and i I always think it's interesting and, you know, just like horror in general has a huge queer audience because lots of people tell us we're monsters. Lots of people tell us we don't belong. And so that's a big reason we gravitate toward these movies. I know horror queers talk about that a lot and they, mm-hmm. I love it every time they bring that up. <laughs> and so I, I love that they're using this thing that is perceived as evil as a metaphor for like, okay, she's different because she's queer and she turns out to not be evil. And mm-hmm. it's, it's just, it's such a beautiful subversion of expectations. Mm-hmm. I, I also think there's a lot of dichotomies in these stories, you know, innocence versus experience, uh, abandonment and betrayal versus loyalty and love and, mm-hmm. you know, 
ending up confiding in the wrong people because you trust them. Mm-hmm. You know, it, there's just there's so much duality in these, and I I love that. Yeah, it, it struck me after like editing the synopsis, and I was like thinking, just kind of digesting some of this, that like I there was like a central takeaway that's kind of obvious, but also kind of not obvious because of the nature of the films. But for me, it was just like, oh, the central takeaway for me is that like the root of all evil is essentially like man's insatiable desire for power and the men who wield that power and yet constantly demand more of it. Not that that's topical right now at all or anything, but like if you strip away all the Judeo Christian implications of the word like devil, like the devil lives in them and yet society who's manipulated by those same people who wield power turns its wrath on our least powerful and most vulnerable and says, you're the evil ones. And that's like, that's fucking stupid as shit. (laughs) And this movie is like using these horror tropes to explore that idea and reveal to you, like, of course you, you too were manipulated by your common expectations of like the evil witch or the woman that is like, you know, got a vengeful spirit or something like that. And it's like, actually, it was the the quote unquote good guy, the the man who has the most power in the town that was pulling the strings all along. And I feel like that's really ti- a timeless message that's really resonant right now. Yeah, absolutely. I just put out an album. Uh, we're recording this on February 27th. I put out mm-hmm. an album on the 25th that kind of uses that same framework mm-hmm. where I did a bunch of research on fairy tales and the universal nature of fairy tales and how so many of them are stories about women who through curiosity or any means step out of line Mm -hmm. according to the rules of society simply because they want to think for themselves and and simply because they want to explore other things that they're told you're not allowed to do this Mm -hmm. and there's always some kind of transformation whether it's transfiguration into a different creature or a statue or through death you know everything is about transformation and i feel like these films tie into that really well Mm -hmm. you know it's it's women who quote-unquote step out of line and then are punished for it Mm-hmm. And they're not actually doing anything that's hurting anyone. Right. They're not doing anything different than the men are doing. They're just not allowed to. They didn't write the lines. So they're right. They can't step. They, you know. Yeah. And it's like urban legends, which I think are really kind of attuned to Fear Street. That's kind of like I, I wouldn't call them urban legend stories, but it's got that feel to it, you know, which in those those exist as like morality tales, like more modern morality tales. Like this mm-hmm. is like the lover's lane one is like, don't, don't have premarital sex, you know, or like, make sure you're a good caregiver, like check the children, you know, and that's a whole another road, but it's like, they, they are presenting this story for us um, and telling us all of the terrible things that can happen if we step out of line. And I feel like these kind of teen, like fear street in a lot of ways. And these stories says like, now it's okay like we are human beings too and we do want to step out of these lines and I think it's just so like watching 
all of these shady siders who are really the others of the community, you know, become like the heroes and they're the ones that have the strength and the stamina. And like as much as Sam, I feel like is Sam and Hannah, like she's a great character. Like she is ostensibly on the Sunnyvale side and she's really not a factor in any of the conclusions. Like it is the shady side people that save the day, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's the one, they're the ones that are honored and it's just such a, like a, reclamation of like yeah we step out of lines because fuck the lines because we should yeah right Right. yeah yeah because the lines aren't good the lines don't make any sense the lines only serve the like to empower the this very small minority of of people yeah Uh, yeah yeah well and one of the things i wanted to talk about too was solomon's logic because in like as he's talking through this like there are things that he's saying that are true you know he's like fuck your neighbors your neighbors are accusing you of being a witch your neighbors are the one like why do you care so much about them and if he were actually going to do something to hurt the neighbors that are accusing her that would be great but he's not he is supporting the neighbors that are accusing her and just continuing to create this other like he just happens to like her and that's why she would be safe if she chose to marry him but like if he didn't like her then he'd turn on her in a second and he oh, does absolutely you know even though and he, he does literally does <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah yeah there's there's a line that he says when they're in the caves struggling and he says don't make me hurt you yeah it's- and that is just like it's so upsetting and it's so indicative of everything we're talking about. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to hurt her. Yeah. She's not making him do anything. He is mm-hmm. choosing to hurt her because he's choosing this miswielded power over a positive relationship. Mm-hmm. She definitely, you know, she didn't want to be with him romantically, but he was her best friend. Mm-hmm. You know, she confided in him. She trusted him. Mm-hmm. And he's using that to try to manipulate her into being with him. Yeah. And and that's just that's classic abuser behavior. It is. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. I mean, I'm we'll get into stuff later, I'm sure. <laughs> But both of my partners are therapists. Mm. And so it's always really interesting watching things with them and kind of breaking things down with them. I have mm. a lot of experience with CBT and DBT. And so it's it's always interesting looking at stuff like that. I'm also mm. a survivor of an abusive relationship. And mm. so like seeing stuff like that represented and represented in a way where it's condemned instead of normalized is mm-hmm. so so cathartic for me mm-hmm. it also does agree. a good job of like making you understand why she trusted him and mm-hmm. and really feel that betrayal along with the character a lot of times you know you enter into a movie and the abusiveness is established it's just like part of the plot this really kind of takes you on the emotional journey of what it feels like to be deceived yeah. by someone and then have the rug pulled out from under you because what i thought was interesting about solomon too as a character is he kind of lives on the outskirts of the settlement he seems like, oh, I can trust this guy because he's a little um, like a little strange to he's not like everyone else. He's a little on the fringes. And so, you know, you as a viewer also are like, oh, yeah, and he's so charming, you know, and that and that is very true of a lot of people who turn out to be really abusive is they can seem like they're on your side, that they're really, char- really superficially charming. And then once you get into it with them, it's like, oh, shit, actually, <laughs> they're a huge piece of shit. Right. Um, and at yeah. that point, you're trapped. 
Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I feel like another thing with Solomon is I think he doesn't think he's really a bad guy. You know, no. I think he thinks that he is. I mean, I think he knows he's doing bad things, but I think he sees he other people. He's doing as it a- for the greater good. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it just so happens that he is the beneficiary of the greater good. He's and literally he the other- greater good with Exa- an E at the end. <laughs> <laughs> and okay. he sees other people as expendable. And that's why, because if you look at like Ziggy and Nick, and it's hard for me not to see Nick and Solomon as the same person. Yeah. But like Ziggy, like she was really into him and he saves her life. But then he, she tells him what happened and he just perpetuates this lie that it's not true. And that's why they're not together. And so that's again, like another kind of facet of abuser behavior is like doing this good thing, but with this gaslighting angle to it that casts a shadow over everything good. Like they can't be together because he is supporting a lie, you know, and turns out he was responsible for her sister's death. So, mm-hmm. And I think there was like an interesting couple of moments in the 78 one where you think, because like when you see it in hindsight, you know, Nick is talking, he's like, ah, what if I don't want to be a part of my family? Everyone wants me to be this one way, but actually maybe I'm not like that. Yeah. And it's almost like he did have, a, and I, I do believe that he had a moment where he at least like considered, you know, it or felt like the weight of this responsibility and wasn't in love with the idea. But at the end of the day, he is a product of his environment and yeah. he does what he does, you know, but I felt like that was kind of interesting. It's like by being oppressors and by you know, hurting vulnerable people, that is also, even though it may give you power in the short term, at the end of the day, it like destroys you, it destroys your family Mm -hmm. uh, and it destroys everyone around you. So I thought that was a nice subtle way of of getting at that without like giving us exposition about (laughs) that kind of thing or dialogue about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and like, if you're never challenged, you don't, grow strong you know and I feel like so many of the people in Sunnyvale are they end up dying or they're victims or they get possessed because they've never had to fight for anything you know because they can always hide in this spell that they maybe didn't have a part in creating but they still get the protection of you know and then when it's gone they get eaten by a trash truck you know (laughs) right (laughs) you know Well, I mean, I did want to say, because there's another witch in this. There's Widow Mary, mm-hmm. who I love. And Oh, my God. She's fucking fantastic. I know. And I, I love the backstory they give her. Me too. You know? And I mm-hmm. love that Sarah is the one who is like, no, this is what actually happened. Mm-hmm. And it's not in a way where she's condemning her because she relates to her because she's also an outsider. She's also ostracized from this society for being different because she Mm -hmm. fell in love with a native Mm -hmm. and she's still willing to help people. Right. And even when it is turned against her, like she, like Nick brings his wife and child to her to try to have them saved. And when she can't save them, then he takes her power and turns it against her. I mean, he literally kills her and then he takes another woman and makes her a scapegoat, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Often in like actual, um, which, hunting incidents I don't know how to phrase that but like in historically like often the women who were like the healers or like what were serving as the town doctor or what have you were often targeted because like what they you know I, I I'm no expert in this subject but I've listened to a few podcasts and read a few books over the years but like a lot of it was like any 
it was it was also about like financial gain and and gain of like pol- wielding political power so mm-hmm. it was like the like in salem like they targeted often like wealthy families or families that had land so they could get their resources and similarly they would target women who were like had something of value and like there's no more valuable thing than like the skill of healing or taking mm-hmm. care of people and so that would be used as a cudgel against them like they how do they do it they must have evil powers you know right. and then like that preys on some fear of uh, women's autonomy that's like baked into our civilization yep we do not like when women have power and no. by me I, or, we, or I don't mean we <laughs> exactly yeah. mm-hmm. yep we don't like them to step out of the line no or feelings right oh totally <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're being hysterical stop uh, being oh so God. emotional <laughs> Yeah, your ovaries are hurting me right now. They're crawling yeah. out of my yeah. Is it your time of the month? Uh-huh, yeah. Just go in that red tent and just stay there for a little yeah. bit. You know, we'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> so, sorry, Mike. We're <laughs> sorry that we've already hit little... on ovaries. Mike, I know, do you want to talk about ovaries? Well, I mean, basically, I don't have much this episode, and I'm, I'm enjoying just sitting back and listening to other people's experiences because there's nothing I'm going to say that it's going to be put in a more elegant way than Jen, Laura, or may have put it already. So I am kind of more than happy to keep my mouth closed and just <laughs> listen to other people's experiences. And that's really all I have right Aww. now. Because there's, I don't disagree with anything that's been said here. Yeah. And and we appreciate that. I <laughs> was just going to say, like, it, it's, a, I mean, I feel like you are always a great listener and I do like always value your insight, but I also appreciate your willingness to say, you know, I, I just kind of want to yeah. listen, you know, I, I will that's say great. that sometimes bitches be crazy. Women be shopping. <laughs> you can edit that part out, Jen. I'll so. edit it to isolate. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> just like, hey, Mike, what do you think? Bitches be crazy. Be <laughs> the tagline for the show. Like, you know, this week Mike says, bitches be crazy. You know, just. <laughs> Yeah, it's like when you watch RuPaul's Drag Race and that the, between the commercial breaks, they like make it sound like somebody said something really fucked up. And then when mm-hmm. they actually play that mm-hmm. clip, they were just like something completely yeah. out of context. Oh, like, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> the first few episodes of Halloweenies that I edited, I would like take a funny line or even an, an outtake or something and do it as a stinger at the end of the episode. And then mm-hmm. I realized that, you know, after like the bloody disgusting outro, no, no one's no one's listening oh, uh-huh. you know and i was like yeah this this isn't worth the effort yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you could really put anything you want there because you know no one's listening i yeah, have questions that's, that's about what it's true. like trying to edit vanderbilt i just have a lot of questions about <laughs> i can vanderbilt imagine. is actually the easiest to edit really, really? oh i'm mm. i'm not kidding dish the tea <laughs> well Speaking of editing, I dropped a clip from The Simpsons at the end of one of our episodes, and no one has mentioned it yet. And Which I'm episode? Not tell I'm not going to tell. I want to have a oh. listener tell me because I want people to find it because I was oh. really, I figured out how to do that shit, and I was so proud of myself. It says, pray for Mojo. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's a that's a good clip to drop. I'll tell you guys, and then I'm gonna bleep it out. It's the episode. Oh, oh shit! I still need to listen to that one because that's an old one. That movie fucked me up, dude. Yeah, we're talking about all of this like patriarchy shit, and I've just watched it yesterday, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. My favorite thing I ever edited in was like Jerry needed to take a break to pee, and he said I need a break for a minute to pee. So I literally just 
took a pause in the show and put in a minute of elevator music. <laughs> oh my god. That's fucking amazing. There have been times where there have been like quiz like segments of mm-hmm. episodes and I've put in like dings and buzzers and stuff. <laughs> I actually uh I exported a clip from the screen rankings episode the other day and I bleeped something out which was fucking hilarious to me because i I, the the (laughs) clip was great but i didn't want people to know where mac was ranking one of the killers in Uh his rankings because you know you want that to be a surprise you want people to listen to the episode and i just i love pulling clips from those episodes it's so (laughs) funny (laughs) well okay so i guess to go back to the um the movie um, can we maybe talk about the monsters? Because that's one yes. of the things that I love about this movie. Like, I love that we get the axe murderer who is like the boyfriend in 78. And then we mm-hmm. get Ruby Lane. And those are really the two that we see most in the first two, unless I'm forgetting about somebody. But I love that we just have like this kind of smorgasbord of all of these monsters in the mm-hmm. last one. You and they're know? all like horror trope characters totally. like the little boy in the wooden mask that's like well, i'm a creepy little child and then there's right. like the hot 60s babe and then x-man you know yeah they're all like stock characters from other horror franchises i thought that was really fun yeah it's it's wonderful and i also one of my only problems with these movies is the use of cg in places where it didn't yeah. need to be used because mostly it's used very effectively and it looks pretty mm-hmm. good but the the pulsing you know satanic goo pile mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. would have been so easy to do with latex and yes. bladders you know uh-huh. what i mean so you could make it look like it's pulsing and it would have been so great. You can still do cg for the stuff spewing out of it and turning mm-hmm. into our monsters but oh god it was so disappointing yeah that's that's literally the only thing about these movies that disappointed me i i as people who listen know i'm a huge practical effects fan Mm -hmm. and i don't like cg so i completely agree it seems like that's the kind of thing that would just anchor it more because you can always tell in your lizard brain when something is physically in the room with the actors versus you know cgi didn't after the fact yeah it makes it it makes a psychological difference it's like i I mean oh absolutely yeah and so we didn't really mention skull mask but skull mask is also pretty prevalent oh that's right Mm -hmm. yeah and like i love that kind of like the scream costume or uh, Uh what what is it grandfather time or whatever that it was originally called (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh the (laughs) the first time justin said that on one of the scream episodes i just fucking lost it but yeah it's it's such a simple costume and because Uh of the way we're introduced to it it is so terrifying you know Mm -hmm. we've been seeing skeletons since we were kids you know it's like skeletons aren't that scary Ooh, i live inside you Mm -hmm. and And that is not a euphemism Right. I, I always think of that Natalie D comic where it's just a cute little cartoon skull and it says, I live inside your face. <laughs> it's true. It does. Right? But yeah. yeah, I I just like there is something so terrifying about the way that character moves and the way it just like when it's stalking Dina mm-hmm. and when it comes in to get Simon's shirt in 1994 
it's just like it's methodical and it's slow Mm-hmm. And so then when when it like bursts into action and it actually attacks someone, it's so much more terrifying because mm-hmm. you're expecting this kind of Michael Myers slowness. And then all of a sudden it's just like fucking slashing you up. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's it is like Scream. Like it's obviously kind of evoking that same kind of feeling. Yeah. But it's not. And I am in love with the opening scene of the 94 movie because it is such a good like speaking of subversion subversion of that that scream opening because we get that she killed like the slow motion stab and then she like pulls the mask off and in scream we don't know we don't see the face and then we see the face and then he gets shot in the head by who turns out to be the central villain of the whole thing and so like when you see skull mask it's like you're not trying to figure out who it is anymore because it's a monster now that has come back to life so it does a completely different thing i just yeah i love it yeah it's like a blender of all these horror tropes they wanted to they got the slasher in and it's like i like that like that that one is really the clearest reference as a scream reference but the rest feel like they i can't quite pinpoint but they're like an amalgamation of other yeah. things from different films and um they all have like their finishing move like the axe the straight razor mm-hmm. the like what was it baseball baseball bat or club or something with the yeah. little boy yeah yeah, or yeah. The milkman has the ice pick yeah. yes it's like these could all be action figures you know it's like video game i want to see a video game of this you know i, I it's like yeah. it does it in a way that's just really fun <laughs> oh well, absolutely it, it thematically fits too because it's like solomon is not creating these monsters solomon is sacrificing one person and it is the culture and the cultural fears that are creating the individual monster. And I think of yeah. like the milkman and like the the executioner style killer. And it's just like kind of a product of these time periods based on the person he happens to target. And I think that's why he can kind of not feel as responsible too, because he's not actually killing anyone. You know, right. he is just he's sacrificing. Exactly. <laughs> Which I, is I, the Doctor Strange love of yeah. sitting in the war room. Yeah. yeah. I, I also noticed watching him yesterday for the first time that the reason Nick or Solomon are actually able to kill these agents essentially is because they're the ones who initiated the curse. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So when Nick shoots Ryan in the head, you don't really know yet, but like the only reason Ryan actually stops at that point is because Nick killed him. Just right. like when the pastor is killed by Solomon, the reason he stops is because Solomon is the one who initiated the curse. And yes. so like it took me five times watching these movies <laughs> to actually realize that. And that that again is great foreshadowing and mm-hmm. great subversion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and Nick is the one that saves them both under the tree in 78 too, right? right? right yeah yeah it's and you don't yeah it's one of those like there's a lot in this movie that benefits from hindsight yeah it also reminds me just because i just watched it that dead and buried it's like almost like a zombie master kind of situation or like white Mm -hmm. zombie kind of thing like the guy that pulls the puppet strings yeah now now i just want to yell pull the string like bella lugosi (laughs) yes vanderbilt actually posted that the other day (laughs) Well, speaking of pulling strings, I love the mall showdown. Like, it's such a fun set piece. Like, I love when the the mall cops show up and they kick their super soakers away like they're, like, dangerous weapons. And, I mean, I guess in the (laughs) movie's logic they are, but it's just so fun. It's so, like, 
90s like this neon yeah. black light paint too you know it's just it, it even though like, like if I really kind of dissected this like are they really going to follow these arrows you know I, I don't know don't but don't logic it yeah exactly no, it's, it's, but you don't need to because it's so much fun because the offspring's playing like who cares if it makes sense you know right? it, it, it reminded me of like in summer camps we would always you know be forced to like one of three recreational activities every two weeks or something and it was always like a laser tag you know was yeah. one of them and this had that like it looked like the inside of like a 90s laser tag place oh, with, absolutely. The, with the black light and all that yep. like, i was always so afraid of laser tag <laughs> the laser tag place i went to as a kid my favorite part was when they would play music from terminator 2 oh my god which <laughs> Oh no, Jen, I don't have I, any feelings about that at all. <laughs> one of the reasons I've been looking so forward to this is so we can briefly gush about Terminator Two and how it's the best sequel of all time and maybe oh the gosh. best movie of all time. Yep. I mean, it's it's fucking perfect. It's anyway so amazing. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> shit, I was gonna say something. Cosine, laser mean... tag, Terminator Two music. Yeah, perfect no. movie. It was it know. was back before that. Sarah no. but, Yeah, uh, that's okay. Laser tag used to scare me. I would get really anxious because I was I could never like you know it's like when I play video games I just panic and hit all the buttons at once and end up like Uh looking at the ceiling. So laser tag was like the live version of that. Like I would just be like (laughs) I can't make my gun work and I just hide in the corner. I would I would always run in find post up find a hiding spot and then sneak around the corner. That's the same way I've done paintball where it's like find find an advantageous spot and then <laughs> and then just pick people off. I call it uh-huh. the coward's the coward special, you know. <laughs> hey, but that's how you survive. Hey, if it, it works. It works. It's a as a as a method it works, you know. Totally. So. <laughs> I once took out a, a former marine in paintball doing that. So. Nice. Oh, damn. That's my one claim, claim to fame. He was pissed and then he got me in the next round. Oh. Like re- he kept me, like, like vengeance. Shot me up really big. <laughs> And bruises all over my legs. (laughs) Was there anything else we want to mention about this movie or any of the other two? I remembered what I wanted to say. So I love the through lines between the three time periods. I love that the church becomes the mess hall, becomes the mall, Mm -hmm. you know? And I love, I love that the fucking tree mm-hmm. where they hung her ends up as the central piece of the mm-hmm. mall. Yeah. And I love that they built the mall around it because mm-hmm. otherwise her hand wouldn't be there. I hate it when they call it a hand bone. I oh, hate yeah. it. Just call yeah. it a fucking hand. Okay. <laughs> right. okay. So I have two One problems bone. with this movie. Because <laughs> there are lots of bones in your hand. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I, I just love that they like built the whole mall around the tree. They didn't dig it up. They just structured around it and that just goes to show you how horribly important that piece of the town's history is Mm -hmm. you know it's like we're honoring this tree by building a mall around it which you know if if we're talking about monuments to 90s capitalism that is like a high honor building a mall around this monument Mm -hmm. and it, it just it's so fascinating to me how they were able to work these through lines into the movies and how rewarding repeat viewings are because you notice these things more and more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah it, it reminds me of like, like an occult psychogeography, like everything has these like ritual spaces and they're like probably the tree not being dug up was like a thing. Part of the like 
devil powers that like that can't happen because that would cause you know so these there's certain uh, like elements of like physical power that have to remain in the town and you know it it reminds me of like a very like Lovecraftian Aleister Crowley ley lines kind Uh of shit like I like that kind of occult bullshit in a film so it it just gives me that vibe yeah Yeah. well and like every piece of the town every important piece of the town is built on top of these tunnels which is like Mm -hmm. this this it's not a lie but it's like this this deception and this like corruption and so the entire town is built on top of that and when you go down into it you discover the truth and a love that the tree is this representation of this truth that is all that will not die and it's always going to be there and that's the thing like that what I love that we go backwards in these generations is because I feel like sometimes with a story about like the Salem witch trials or something like where it's hundreds of years before the truth comes out and everybody that could have benefited from that is already dead. You know, we get to see like the root of this and we like when she says like, I will never let you forget, you know, that means something because we've seen, you know, this corruption in other generations. And then we get like, the catharsis like it feels so good when she says that and stabs him in the eye because we've seen we've gone backwards and we see Mm -hmm. like what the heart of this really is you know yeah yeah that moment when she says i will never let you go that Mm -hmm. is just full body goosebumps moment right and it's like she is coded as dangerous for the entire movie but then you realize she is dangerous to the people who are bad you know that's Mm -hmm. who that's who should be afraid of her you know right but in order to keep power, they tell us to be, af- they tell everyone to be afraid. Yeah, absolutely. Which is what they do, even though they're super hot. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, oh, I also want to give, I know we already said it, but like it was so nice going backwards to see all the kids pop oh, back absolutely. up. Like after we'd seen these brutal deaths, especially Simon, like I saw him in White Lotus and then saw him again in um, The Woman in the Window or something. And I just love the character he plays. It's kind of like a doofus, but like with such a sweet heart, you know? Yeah. I, I kind of love that there's another subversion of expectations there. It's like mm-hmm. Dina's the queer weirdo. And I just realized that she's kind of costumed like Lindsay Weir from Freaks and Geeks, which mm, I love. Yes. So it's true. She's, she really is. Good right? catch. She's the queer weirdo. Simon is the kid who's selling drugs, not because he's a bad person, because he's trying to support his family and he's already mm-hmm. working a regular job at the fucking grocery store. He's employed and... every month, I think. Right. Yeah. No. Oh God. I love yeah, that. that I love that shot. It's so fucking funny. Mm-hmm. And, and then you have Kate who's the cheerleader and the leader of every group and, and all of these things. And it's like, they're such an unlikely trio of friends and they mm-hmm. love each other so much, they do. you know? And, I I think one of the other big themes that we didn't really talk about is sacrifice. Mm. You know, Sam offers Mm -hmm. to sacrifice herself to Mm. save the woman she loves. Mm -hmm. Sarah does sacrifice herself to save the woman she loves. And Mm -hmm. and it's just like, it's this beautiful mirroring between the two halves or the, Mm -hmm. the two bookends of the story. Mm -hmm. And, and I fucking love that because we do sacrifice ourselves for people we love in small ways and big ways. And, yeah. you know, a, the the way they use that in these films is so affecting. 
Well, and that is like the heart of Nick's corruption because he's sacrificing other people to benefit himself, you know, like because he's sacrificing just as much. He's just sacrificing the people he sees as expendable and they are willing to sacrifice themselves, partly because I think there there is a little bit of a learned like viewing yourself as shady side, you know, Mm -hmm. like but. There's also just like you you want that person to live, you know, that like the moment yeah. where she says, no, I bewitched Hannah is just, oh, my God, it's, it's so heartbreaking. T- it really is. Ugh. And that Hannah just has to watch and Hannah's mother. And so that's why that payoff, like oh, we're going to kiss that bitch. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh huh. And, and Sam's mom. Sam. Seriously. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They suck. But that's why like the kissing in the broad daylight like that. It's it's there's a tragedy that that feels so triumphant, you know, because that should not be something that is a triumph. That should just be something that we all have, you know. Yeah. But it's just such a beautiful line, and then the way that it happens, you know, it's that's that's all they want. They just want to kiss in the light, you know, and eat their cheeseburgers, right? And listen, (laughs) yeah, and and so the ending of this is just it's just gorgeous. Oh, absolutely, such a good payoff, you know. So, oh, that was the other thing I wanted to talk about. Besides Lee Janiak's direction, the cinematography, the music, the Mm -hmm. editing in all three of these is fucking stunning you know i i I know some people don't like all the needle drops i think they're fun and not just because i love pretty much every song they use other same i I can't stand cat stevens but oh i love cat stevens i know i'm sorry i'm sorry that's 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 harold and maude (laughs) that's a spicy take i've never seen harold and maude okay i haven't seen it either Just the whole soundtrack. (laughs) But the score is amazing. I love that they Uh brought in Marco Beltrami to help out. And I love the little bit of, you know, scream references in Mm -hmm. the score. It's not like John Williams where he recycles motifs and stuff where you're like wait i'm watching harry potter why does this sound like a moment in star wars uh-huh. it's like oh this is an intentional reference to the tonality of this and i love right. that and it's the percussion. so well done oh mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i i love that the the music for each era again has a bit of a through line but different instruments are used you know when you mm-hmm. go back to 1666 it's mostly period appropriate instruments and that that repeated violin progression that is just so unsettling oh i mm-hmm. love that it's so good <laughs> yeah the cinematography especially is fantastic there's so many beautiful shots in these movies you know i i don't I feel like one perfect shot doesn't really feature horror movies a lot, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of shots in this movie that would be perfect for that mm-hmm. account. And the, totally. It like the styling, like the set design too, like it feels appropriate for the time genre of horror. Uh, like the oh, horror absolutely. movies. You know, it's like the 1666 has a bit of like overcast like natural light feel to it, you know, the 78 one has that just I don't swarm 70s kind of color grading uh-huh yeah. but then the, and there's like so much like black light neon stuff with the mm-hmm. 94 yeah, they, you yeah. Know. it was thoughtful everything was very like let's execute yeah each things distinctly which is how you do nostalgia right you know yeah. like this could be seen as nostalgia overload but it's like just the the way it all comes together just is perfect you know yeah absolutely uh can i 
talk about like one of my fam- favorite sweet moments in the movie or is yeah. that like coming up because i i see in our outline that next is uplifting moment oh yeah oh. yeah go for it okay so the pretty much every scene between dina and sam or sarah and hannah where they are able to connect is so beautiful to me and it's just like you can see how much they love each other, how much they care about each other. And, you know, I love in 1666 when there's fucking consent. There's a conversation about consent. Totally. And and it's like consent in the 17th century? Yes. I don't care. If that, <laughs> well, I mean, I do care if that actually happened back then, which it probably didn't. But the fact that they feature that in this film is totally. such an important moment. It mm-hmm. is so meaningful to me. And then I love that. Dina or Sarah just goes straight for going down on her. I, right. I mean, like, damn girl. Yeah, they went for it with these things. They weren't like shy about making it sexual, which is no, like, you know, not yeah. at all. And it's I, not coded. I think that's yeah. right. And I think that's refreshing, not just because it's in a queer relationship, but it's also like, yeah, teenagers are fucking horny. They fuck. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. They don't, they don't just like skirt around it they aren't just having cutesy stuff like teenagers fuck i mean i don't you'll never be that horny again (laughs) i know yeah Um, Yeah. well unless you start taking hormones to transition and then (laughs) okay (laughs) just just okay okay or you happen to watch a movie with a sweater person or you know just be me Well, I take antidepressants, so. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, but no, I, I think one of the other lovely things is that red moss is mm, a symbol mm-hmm. of their love. And I that's kind of Sarah trying to protect what she sees as her town and mm, her people. Mm-hmm. And that's why it spreads and grows. And it, it's like, you know, just like her her bones were trying to warn people, but because her body wasn't complete, they weren't getting the complete narrative. That red moss is so representative of her reaching out and trying Mm -hmm. to get the truth out there. And also just a big symbol of hers and Hannah's love. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when you first see that she's wearing that crown, I I was just like, wait a second. (laughs) The red moss is a, good thing yes Mm -hmm. yes that's another subversion is that you think it's this gross evil weird thing because it's red you know red can have so many meanings you know right Uh, yeah yeah it's smart and that she's the first shady sider you know and like yeah as i was watching it this time i was i mean i noticed that they're the shady side witches because i was like i would kill to have that as my high school (laughs) mascot but it's the sunnyvale devils you know and i feel like that is like it's right there you know Mm -hmm. we see it the whole time but that she is the first shady side or not because of where she lives but because she was the first one who was willing to say like no this is who i am you know just that moment where she tells solomon like no it wasn't Italians. i I mean she's essentially saying i'm gay you know even though that could kill her you know Yeah, and and that dedication to being her authentic self, that's another thing that really, really hits home for me, mm-hmm. because I didn't get to do that until less than a year ago. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm 35. I finally got to start being my authentic self uh, last March, mm-hmm. and it has been so powerful for me to finally be able to not be afraid to be who I am, to establish healthy relationships, and to just find so much 
love and kindness from people because of that Mm -hmm. and and so like her being willing to be her authentic self being willing to say no this is who i am and i am not going to hide and and that dina does that too everyone knows dina's a lesbian she's Mm -hmm. not in the closet she's fucking out and Mm -hmm. like that oh god that's so powerful Mm -hmm. and you know like i love seeing representation like that that can help other queer kids be like oh i'm allowed to be who i am Mm -hmm. yeah because every person that shares about it once like i think about this with trauma like if you talk about it it makes it so easier for the next person to talk about it and for the next person and i like that sam is not really vilified for feeling uncomfortable being out you know like she's you know in the first movie she's like it's like i understand you know you understand why she's not because when you see your mom but then when she like says no i'll see you tonight that feels so triumphant too oh my god that's fucking great and like dina definitely is mad at her toward the Mm -hmm. beginning of the movie you know like she says she's pretending to be someone she's not Mm -hmm. and i think that's hard for dina because she loves her Mm mm-hmm yeah. Absolutely. Well, and speaking let's, uh, of love, should we? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Let's <laughs> let's uh let's have an uplifting moment. And now it's time for an uplifting moment. And this is where we share any grounding or coping techniques and any self-care that have been particularly effective for us. Grounding and coping techniques are the little tips, tricks, mantras, or practices that help us get through the tough days and tough moments. And self-care is anything that makes us feel good or feel better. Um, And man, I've been fucking struggling recently. I'm in this really bad sleep cycle and just you know, but this watching these movies has been a lot of self-care and talking about it. Like I was in a, I I didn't have the best morning, but I'm feeling like really energized now. So yay, yay, Fear Street is my (laughs) self-care. Yeah. I mean, not to be a broken record, but I've just been doing more ceramics and pottery and I, I, you know, it it gives me something to do every week and I've really been getting into hand building. Like it's one of those, like, I feel myself going down the like, oh no, the hobby is taking over rabbit hole. But like, Mm -hmm. it's just really gratifying to have something where I get to leave my apartment do something with my hands and even if whatever I make isn't like perfect like I still made something and it's fun learning a new skill I really like the teacher I have right now it's just like a a, a, you know it's obviously been a really fucked up week and a really fucked up year and a really Mm -hmm. fucked up time and like that just gave me something to look forward to at the end of the week that it's just good it's just purely good yeah (laughs) for me I I mean, if you want to talk about an actual grounding technique, tip, yeah, please. tip is always very helpful for me. Uh, if you don't know what that is, it's temperature, intense exercise, pace breathing, and progressive muscle reaction, relaxation. Mm. It's, uh, I can't remember if, that, if that's CBT or DBT, but it's, it's a really useful skill. If mm-hmm. you feel like you're entering a panic cycle, if you are just having a really hard time, it can be something as simple as putting an ice cube on your wrist or splashing cold water on your face or when it's fucking cold out, just running outside. Mm-hmm. And the temperature change is generally the most helpful for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Physical touch is really important to me. So if I am Mm -hmm. having a hard time, if someone so much as just like takes my hand or gives me a hug or something, that Mm -hmm. is so helpful. And that's hard right now because of COVID stuff still Mm -hmm. going on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm lucky I have a few people in my life who I can do that with. And Mm -hmm. because we're all being 
very careful. Mm -hmm. And yeah, for me, it's mostly about interaction with other people. Mm -hmm. And that's very helpful. And, And also my music. I haven't worked on music in a while. I actually, the album that I just put out, I finished in was that April five Mm -hmm. days after my previous album came out last year oh wow (laughs) yeah well and I I mean I put out like four albums and a shit ton of other stuff in Mm -hmm. 2020 Mm -hmm. I was I was very productive during the first bit of the pandemic and yeah so music has been really helpful for me and then of course watching comfort horror films <laughs> i i think um, when uh when jen and i first started talking about doing this i sent her a list of like how many movies did i have on there like 10 or 12 a, yeah mm-hmm. and i loved every one of them i was like yes. yeah i i was like oh man it would be fun to talk about any of these and then i was like most of these are older i think it would be fun to talk about something newer because there's a lot of newer horror that sucks yeah yeah (laughs) and there's a lot of newer horror that's great i mean Mm -hmm. like hush devil's candy Mm -hmm. a couple other things that i've seen the last couple years have been so so well done and so enjoyable Mm -hmm. to rewatch. and you know obviously like i said i've now watched all three of these movies five times Mm -hmm. they're great they really are and i've loved this conversation about it too so i'm so glad that you picked this one thank you yeah so you know i'm trying to keep a positive spin by on things by thinking things like hey you know if we are living through end times i won't have to pay back my student loans so (laughs) or how i really love like fallout 3 and fallout new vegas and fallout 4 and i'm pretty good at them so maybe you know maybe i'm well equipped to handle what we're potentially going through (laughs) So just trying to keep that glass half full. <laughs> no, more for me right now, like it's it's been a nice week off. I've gotten some new clients lately that represent some real uh, unique challenges. Uh, one of them, I'm very like, di- our, our politics are diametrically opposed from one another. It's very interesting. And when they go on like an anti-mask or anti-vaccine rant i kind of have to bring myself to a space where i can like engage rather than argue and remind myself that like this is probably a person who has been through the ringer and approach it from that perspective so it's i like it because it's sharpening my skills in terms Mm -hmm. of listening and empathy and trying to kind of get to the core of like asking better questions and really listening and trying to be non-judgmental so i'm enjoying that challenge right now (laughs) we'll see how i feel in six months (laughs) (laughs) my other partner sue is currently she's doing a conference this weekend uh getting certified to become a sex therapist Mm -hmm. and i'm i'm very interested to see what kind of clients she ends up with because she already deals with a lot of like queer and poly folks Mm -hmm. and you know she also has a couple just like straight monogamous clients and Mm -hmm. hearing her talk about them is always interesting Mm -hmm. but yeah i'm i'm very interested to see where this goes yeah Yeah. does she get bored by us folks that are like straight and monogamous is she like boring no no it's it's more like it's very interesting to see what some people prioritize in their Mm -hmm. lives as big issues to tackle Mm. and i i think 
being queer is automatically like that is so challenging to exist in that way for a lot of Mm. us and so that tends to take priority over other things like oh I had a bad day at work oh you know I had an argument with my mom or something it's like most of my time in therapy just like in most of my music is spent talking about my queerness and my transness and Mm -hmm. just like the difficulties of existing in this world just like Dina and Sam Mm -hmm. there was an interesting piece that came out this week I think there was like the highest reported percentage of like people on the LGBTQIA spectrum like basically like the highest reported number we've ever had And if it progresses as expected, like within about three generations, it'll be the norm. Yeah. Really? Which is great. That that gives me actual hope. It's really nice because like we've always been around. It's just like it's finally starting to feel somewhat safer for us to be honest about it. Yeah. And that's why I think like the right is having such temper tantrums because they know the winds are changing. It's right. like a toddler having a, a temper tantrum before they have to go to bed. You know, yeah. it's like yeah. they're just, ah, I can't handle yeah. the change, right. you know. But it's like you said, these, it's just people feeling safe enough to actually express themselves. That's right. the only difference. Yeah. And I know, like being a parent of a middle schooler and working with middle schoolers and high schoolers, there's very few of the kids I know, like just identify as like cis hetero kids. Yeah. At this point that it's becoming more and more the norm that they like are somewhere on that like that Ginsey spectrum. So which mm-hmm. is great. Mm-hmm. I, you know, to your point about like the right, you know, I often attribute to like, well, you know, like Mitch McConnell won't be alive forever. Um, but the reality <laughs> Unless is he had a kind of like demon demonic possibly thing happening. Yeah, possibly possible. the frogman. That's what his hand has. Was. He might already but, be dead. You know, there are I do forget <laughs> there still are like a number of like younger very conservative very angry folks and it's not just i mean i want to be very clear it's not just like white dudes that show a lot of like hate towards lgbt persons like there are other communities that also aren't always the best allies when it comes to that as well so Mm -hmm. because again it's we do a very good job of turning marginalized persons against one another Mm -hmm. um in some sort of anchorman style free for all in a back That's one way to put it. Policia. Turn the shady siders against each other. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Ah, Well, well, we want to hear from you. What is your favorite store in the mall? Can you do any accents? And have you ever eaten magic berries? And what did you see? Or just (laughs) just what's on your mind? You can Can answer. Can I answer any of these? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So my favorite store in the mall was absolutely. Any music store. <laughs> and yep. well, and especially like when I was a teenager and mm. I, I got into Nine Inch Nails in 1999. Uh-huh. They're my favorite band. I don't know if y'all can see, but like <laughs> I have a lot of Nine Inch Nails stuff. The entire wall nice. in front of me is Nine Inch Nails stuff. <laughs> nice. And uh, Erica actually just surprised me the other day with tickets to see them outside Aww. of Seattle in September, which is nice. so fucking exciting because I didn't think I was going to get to see them this year. But so like back then certain music stores would have imports and stuff so i managed to build up my entire nine inch nails collection by going into those stores and digging through the bins and being like oh my god they they got this you know australian import of this single i don't Mm -hmm. care that it's twenty dollars i'm gonna fucking buy (laughs) it Mm -hmm. 
I mean, I remember in the early 90s having like six copies of Pearl Jam's Alive. Signal, yeah. Because they all had like different guitar tracks to them. Mm-hmm. And like, <laughs> yeah, just like I have the same song. I would put them all in one mixtape at the end. Yes. Have like. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, so any music store was always my favorite. Yep. I was very partial to Sam Goody. And yep. I, I, you know what? I miss Borders. I do. I miss, I miss Borders. Borders a lot. I miss Borders. Yeah. Borders was so much better. Walden Books was one that oh, I would yeah. Oh, yeah. I love yeah. that they have the Walden Books where yeah. Maya Hawke's character is working totally. at the beginning of the first movie. Yep. Oh, that and, right. and that the first needle drop is closer by Nine Inch Nails. Uh-huh. Which, yeah, even it's though it's such a tone setter. It's oh, yeah. Just, it's, oh. Well, and like, okay, however you feel about the needle drops, if you're bitching about like, oh, well, Closer didn't come out until 1995, get over it. You <laughs> know what? That's a, a hell fucking, of a die on. It's, it's a it. fucking <laughs> movie that involves witchcraft and deals with the devil and all of the songs that are needle drops that did not come out until after 1994 are non-diegetic. Ah, which is a word. Non-diegetic strikes again in our 94 commentary. It's a a hill I'll die on. I think if you want to be a period piece. Uh You know, it's you guys not are gonna the, have to fight. You're gonna have to have an anger man style. I'm not brawl. gonna fight anybody over people. I'm not gonna fight. Fight, o- fight, fight. I'm sorry. not going to fight. A, because I'll probably lose. Oh my god, no, no, you I, won't. My I arms to, are like noodles. So there was this middle school kid I was convinced I could beat in a foot race because I used to beat <laughs> sixth grader, really fast sixth graders in foot races, and I bet him five bucks I would win. And on his last day at our school, I raced him, and my knees are now like pretzel sticks, and I lost. And it wasn't really owing him the five bucks; it was every other sixth grader coming up to me that day. <laughs> oh yeah, like I heard you lost ass. to so oh and so, and I'm like, mm. I'm getting roasted by sixth graders, <laughs> and I just wanted to be like, well, at least I can read. Um, but that would have been accurate but mean so well <laughs> well we want to hear from Sorry. you <laughs> wait wait can i answer the other questions yeah, real quick yeah. uh, speed around yeah no it's... okay um i can do a really good impression of arnold from jingle all the way if you want me to do that real quick uh, yeah go for it put that cookie down now <laughs> that was wow. good thank you shockingly good and that yes i did impressive. back away from the mic so i didn't blow anyone's ears uh i've never like eaten, an editor yeah i've never eaten magic berries but i'm about to try mushrooms for the first time sometime soon very oh. excited for that and nice. yeah you'll have to tell us what you see um, yeah. oh i i surely will <laughs> well, you can answer all of these questions and more by following us on socials at Psychoway Pod. You can also join our Facebook group, the Psychoanalysis Podcast Support Group, which is a private and moderated space to share about things we talk about in the episode, anything else that might be on your mind. And you can email us at psychoapod at gmail.com if you want to share privately. And if you have a spare moment, please leave us a rate and review on Apple iTunes. It really helps other people find the pod. It makes us feel good. And our homework question for the week. We talked about a lot of iconic movie monsters. So what is your favorite iconic horror movie monster? Share a pick if you want. And uh, what's up next for us? Well, we are continuing our theme of workplace anxiety with the polar opposite of Session 9, which was our first film on it. We are going to be watching Mayhem with the fantastic Samara Weaving. And I actually haven't seen it, so I'm excited. I haven't um, seen it either. First time for me. It's really good. <laughs> it's um, really fun. But 
If that's not enough for you, Mike, what's going on in the world of Patreon? Sure. Uh, so if you go to patreon.com slash psychoanalysis podcast, uh, you have access to like a few dozen hours of bonus footage up this point, uh, depending on what tier you go to. We do at least one bonus show every month. For February, we kind of recorded a preview of March's theme with a take this job and shove it. <laughs> and we also have things like our medicine chest where we give our recommendations in terms of what to watch or play or listen to. Uh, we, on our top tier, we do commentaries or we'll analyze um, we'll analyze characters from horror movies and write up treatments for them. So in February, we did, like, Laura and I did a really fun commentary on Scream. I think I've talked about that movie more than any movie. We <laughs> have a $50 tier where it's a one-time payment of $50, allows you to uh, pick a either a comfort horror movie for us to discuss and for you to jump on for a segment of the show, or you can pick the movie and a potential theme uh, as well to go along with that. So we're lining all those up. I think... After Mayhem, is that when we do our next one? That might That's be going to be our first so, uh, Patreon comfort horror, yeah. Excellent. So we have that coming up. Uh, I will say, like as we record this, uh, with everything going on in Texas for the past month, I'm sorry, for everything going on in Texas this week, uh, we're taking our donations from the month of February, and we are donating them to a uh, trans youth uh, help center. I don't oh, know sure if we picked which one. That makes but, me so happy. Yeah. Good. We just kind of all like text her. We're like, should, why don't we just we, do this? It was like yeah. a very easy call yeah. to make. Very easy, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. So if you are currently a patron, like that is where uh, February's funds are going. And we encourage all our listeners to make their own personal donation as well. Like mm -hmm. I think we all have. Um, to and show check our feed. We posted some links. Yeah, places there's that you links can up do. on our Twitter page, and we'll redo that as well. And that's you know one step. Um, obviously, mm -hmm. there's a long road, a long yeah. way to go. So yeah, yeah. Patreon.com/slash/psychoanalysis/podcast. Yeah, and let's wrap up with some plugs. So May, where can we find you online? And you mentioned an album. Where can we find your music? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter and Instagram uh, at Everson Poe, E-V-E-R-S-O-N-P-O-E. -E. It's a pseudonym I've been using for, <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus Christ, 13 years. <laughs> it's, it's an obscure reference to a book series that I love. The character mm -hmm. is mentioned twice because... They're the sibling of the main character. You never meet the character. It's just a name. And I was like, no one's ever going to use this. I love it. It, <laughs> it is ambiguous in terms of gender. It's mm -hmm. fucking fantastic. It's but yeah, so that's my, that's my handle on social media. And it's also my music name. So eversonpo.bandcamp.com. I put out my album, The Night Country, on Friday oh. the 25th. Good like name. I said, Oh, mm -hmm. thank you. Uh, it's the second book in a series about fairy tales. Oh. And the night country is essentially a blank slate for mm. building a world. And that, you know, like I said, a lot of the album deals with existing as a woman in a patriarch patriarchal society. It also, of course, deals with my past trauma and my struggles with gender identity and stuff. And I'm really, really fucking proud of it. I've been 
getting some really good feedback on it from friends on Twitter, as well as a couple reviews so far. And almost everyone has used the word nightmare or nightmarish in their reviews. <laughs> and I'm like, fuck yeah. Nice. Thank oh, that's, you. A good, that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's it's been really nice. It's been really satisfying to get it out there after not releasing anything for almost a year. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, if if you are into metal, please check it out. I did a lot of clean vocals on it for the first time where they're good, clean vocals. There's still plenty of screaming, plenty of blast beats, but there's also a lot of like post-rock influence. And mm-hmm. I've, I've been told there's some like 80s sound to it, which is Ooh. really fucking cool because I didn't realize I had done that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just in you. Yeah, like, absolutely. It just came out. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, Mike, where can we find you? Sure. You can find me at Mike underscore Snoonian over on Twitter. You can find my other show, The Pod and The Pendulum, wherever you get your podcasts. We are currently co- we cover all franchises. We're currently diving deep into Child's Play. As this goes up, I believe we are right in between Bride and Seed of Chucky. We just recorded a really fun episode on Bride with Matt Donato from Certified Forgotten. Um, so yeah, that's been a lot of fun to kind of go over those movies again. Awesome. And Laura, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at underalls, U-N-D-E-R-A-L-L-S. Oh boy. Uh, much (laughs) like the petticoat that you're wearing under your top coat that, and under that you're wearing stockings and under that you're wearing uh, restrictive undergarments that make sure y- you can never ever have sex. That's at underalls u n d r l l s on Twitter. <laughs> oh, I got to get myself out of doing this somehow. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, no. occasionally on Losers Club and Halloweenies as well. That's me, baby. <laughs> yeah, and you can find me at Jim Ferratu on Twitter and Instagram. You can also find me co-hosting the um, I almost said the Psychoanalysis Podcast, but that's this one, the Losers Club Podcast. Um, <laughs> And I just started reading Dreamcatcher. That's our next book episode. Um, excited to revisit that and see if I still don't like it. Um, <laughs> and, and I saw others. that movie in the theater by myself. There oh. are a lot of hot people in that movie. I will oh, give absolutely. it that. But um, I don't see those people as I read the book. Anyways, um, but there we just um, were planning the March schedule. So that should be up probably in the next day or so. There's lots of fun stuff coming up there. And actually, as this drops, it's already out. So, so yeah, check that out. And then uh, we're going to be talking The Hand That Rocks the Cradle for White Ladies in Crisis, which I'm also really <laughs> excited to revisit because I love that movie. And, yeah, so that's me and just writing and doing lots of stuff. And yeah, that's me. And that's our episode on Fear Street 1666. Yay! May, thank you so much for joining us. This oh was my so gosh. much fun. Thank you thank for you. having me. I've been poking the Halloweenies to have me on, and they're like, me. So I'm, I'm really glad can I got you to edit come their on. Show? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, wow. You can just, you know, threaten to not edit anything. Right? It's like, you, I have the power. <laughs> Yeah, I will all yourself over all of them. <laughs> <laughs> that would be like that would be a super power bitch move. Power that would, yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> well, listeners, thank you for spending time with us. Please sure, make sure to take care of yourselves and take care of each other. And with that, let's sign off. We came here to chew bubble gum and take care of ourselves, and we're, we're all, all out of bubble gum. Out of bubble gum. <laughs>